Well, good morning, South Winds. It's good to see you this week. I missed you last week. I want to let you know that I have uh, recovered and I'm doing much better. Tested negative about uh, a week ago. And I was uh, in God's providence and kindness, a very mild case. I'm glad uh, to be back uh, with you. And uh, especially on this this, uh, Sanctity of Life week, I want to let you know everything and kind of our teaching schedule has just been moved back a week. So some things I was planning on talking about today, I'm going to talk about next week because some things that I wanted to talk about last week, I can't talk about until this week. Track with me right now. And so uh, we're gonna continue this morning in a series we started last fall, maybe you remember it, called Creed. And we were exploring together uh, through the fall the core of our faith. And we were doing that by walking through the historic confession of faith, that statement of Christian belief known as the Apostles' Creed. And if you were with us during those weeks, you will remember that each week I, I told you that we were not studying the Creed, but we were using the Creed to push us back into the study of God's word. And if it's your first time with us, maybe, or maybe you first started coming to Southwinds during the holidays, uh, we we made it about three-fourths of the way through the creed uh, before Advent. And so what we're gonna do is complete this study over the next few weeks. And every week last fall in that series, uh, we confess the Apostles' Creed together. We are gonna do that today, but before we do, I wanna remind you of what I told you many times last fall, that every time we confess the creed, uh, we are reminding ourselves that we are part of Jesus' church all around the world today, all across 20 centuries of time so far. I also told you each week that whenever we read and confess the creed, it is simultaneously rebellion and allegiance. It is rebellion against the unbiblical ideologies of our culture of our day, and it is a pledge of allegiance to God, the only God, and to his kingdom, the only true kingdom. And so with all those things in our mind, I wanna invite you, would you stand with me? And we're going to read and say the Apostles' Creed together. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today, we are talking about the church. And the first thing I want to highlight uh, for you is that the apostles and the earliest teachers of the Christian faith chose to emphasize the centrality of belief in the church right alongside the most important core doctrines of our faith. Have you noticed that? I mean, just think about it, the importance of the church. It is right up there with God the Father 
right up there with who Jesus the Son is, with our belief in the Holy Spirit. It is included in this short, concise uh, explanation of what it is we believe. And our line for today that we're gonna be focusing on is this, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now I'm gonna begin by answering a question that some of you have had from the very beginning of this series. Many of you have asked me along the way and it's about that, that, that word Catholic. What does Catholic mean? And some people have said, we're, we're not a Catholic church, are we? And I have actually told a couple people, well, I'm married, aren't I? <laughs> that ought to kind of... <laughs> That ought to kind of tell you uh, something there. But the answer to the question is actually very straightforward. The word Catholic, it comes from the Greek word katholikos, uh, which just means universal, or maybe we might say today global. And, and what this word is reminding of is, is, of is simply this, that we are part of the one worldwide, global, universal body of Christ that true followers of Christ, wherever, whenever they live for 2,000 years now, all around the world, that they are our family. We belong to them, they belong to us. And this reminds us, this confession, that Jesus' church is bigger than any one congregation. That's a very important thing for us. Now, with that kind of in mind, the overarching idea that I want to uh, have you take home today is simply this. True devotion to Jesus always involves devotion to Jesus' people, the church. And that always means a local church community. Now, think about it. The Bible calls the church a number of things, the body of Christ. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. I mean, just think of how important that means the church is. We are Jesus' body. We are his bride. And I think this demands that all of us ask ourselves this question at the beginning of this, and it's simply, do we see the church in this way? You ask yourself that. Do I see the church at that level of importance? And I hope as we're thinking about this, you'll just catch kind of the flow of what's going on in the creed. The creed really is, we see it here, ordered along the storyline of the Bible. Think about it. It starts with God, the Father, who creates all things. The creed moves next to Jesus, the Son, and he is the one who has come to save. And then the Father and the Son, according to the scriptures, they they send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives birth to the church and we see this first in the book of Acts and that's actually why we're gonna study today in Acts chapter two because we're tracking through the storyline of the Bible and we're seeing what really matters to God and therefore what should really matter to us. That is our text today, Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. And I've chosen it because it's the very first description in the Bible of what a church looks like, what a church should look like. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, make sure you get those open or turn uh, your, your scriptures on, get that screen out, and here's what we read. Luke writes this for us, beginning in verse 42. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this is the word of God. Amen. Now, from these verses, what I want to do this morning is show you five marks of a New Testament church, five things that, that show us what a church should look like and in turn would show us what we should aspire to in our individual lives and in our corporate life together. And we're gonna work through those things and then um, at the end we're gonna talk about, as we have each week in this series, how uh, these teachings give us clarity and balance and counsel and reorientation. So, first thing we need to see I think is something that just kind of overarches, marks the church above all else, and this is about what we as a church here at Southwind should desire to be, and it's this. You can write this down if you're taking notes on the app. Uh, The central mark of a church is everyone pursuing full devotion, everyone pursuing full devotion. And I'm taking that from the very first three words of our text, verse 42. Luke writes, they, what's the next word? Devoted themselves. Now, I think you understand what the word devote means. It just means you give 100%. It means you put God and you put God's purposes in first place in our lives. And that's very important. Someone has said that in America, we worship our work and we work at our play, and we play at our worship. And it is true, isn't it, how often God and his kingdom get what we have left. Is that ever true in your life? Now, what Luke is reminding us of here is that anything less than full devotion is less than God's plan for our lives and for the life of his church. We should be consciously, intentionally, purposefully pursuing full devotion to Jesus Christ and his church. Amen? You don't sound convinced. That's why I need to preach this sermon. I'm glad you're here. We need to be people pursuing full devotion. And I think it's become so easy for so many of us to think that what we do as we come to church and are part of a church is it's just, it's something a lot less than that. But the church is a place where we can pursue full devotion. So, so what does that look like? Well, how do we do that? Well, let me give you the five marks of a church and they're all about really when you put them together pursuing full devotion. I wanna call uh, the first mark, it, the church is to be a place of growth, okay? And what that means is that everyone expects to become more like Jesus. Why are we here? I mean, why are we here right now? This morning, why are you sitting in that chair that you're sitting in? And the ultimate answer ought to be so I can become more like Jesus. That's the point. That's the reason why we're here. That's what you should be expecting when you walk through these doors, when you gather with your life group, when you serve 
whenever you live out the life of being a Christ follower, you should be expecting to become more like Jesus. It's about growth. We should want to grow, right? And, and that means that church should just be a place of growth. Well, how does that happen? Luke gives us a very important clue. He says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So growth always begins and comes out of God's word. This is the first thing that we devote ourselves to. This is why you hear me over and over and over and over again telling you you should be reading God's word, right? Because this is how we grow. This is how we feed. This is the nourishment and strength and power for spiritual growth. Do you know that the... um, excuse me, the primary word in the New Testament for a Christ follower is not the word Christian. That only occurs a couple of times actually in the Bible. The primary word for a Christ follower in the New Testament is the word disciple. Now, this word literally means learner and uh, I've got the Greek text up there. I, I know probably very few of you can like read the Greek, but if you could read the Greek, you would recognize in the word, you would see it there, it's the word mathetes. We get our word mathematics from that. It's about learning, it's about truth, it's about knowledge, and it's, and it's not so much about the learning of facts uh, as it is about the modeling of one's life on the life of the teacher. You're a learner, so you learn from the teacher, you learn from the master. Romans 8.29 says that God has saved us so that we might be conformed to the likeness of his son. So I have a question for you as we're here in January, early on in a brand new year. What's the number one goal for your life? Do you have one? God's number one goal for your life is that you become like Jesus. And we've, as I've said, just begun a brand new year. How how many of you have made resolutions or you've set new goals for the new year? Just raise your hand, just in case. I'm not gonna check in and find out what they are, but I wanna ask the question. Some of you wouldn't raise your hand because you thought there was a trick in there. There wasn't a trick. Um, But here's the question. Are any of those goals that you have set for 2022 about becoming more like Jesus? Are your goals like God's goals for, for you? Now, how that happens is, is simply what I've just said. It happens as we expose ourselves in our lives to the apostles' teaching, which we find in God's word. And here's the reason why we need that. It's because we're not who we should be. Can I get a witness? I mean, everybody knows that, right? Don't you recognize that about yourself? We all still need to become more like Jesus. It's kind of interesting. One of the um, images we find in God's word for the change that all of us need is the image of cleansing, of, of washing, right? It's all through the Bible. The Bible says there are areas in our lives that need to be, be cleansed, and the Bible tells us that God's word does that. One example is Ephesians 5.26 that says, our lives are cleansed by the washing of water through the word, right? And just think about what it means to be washed because, because really one of the real marks of growth is a desire to be clean. This is kind of a maturity thing, right? If you notice this with your kids, 
It's part of maturing that you have a desire to be, be clean. And I was thinking this week about all four of our kids. They're all grown up now, but you know, they went through all the stages that all of your kids are going through. You know, and, and they went through stages that were related to bathing, right? There's different bathing stages in kids' lives, aren't there? Like, um, have you ever noticed, some of you have teenagers, like teenagers, they can turn bathing into like a religious experience, you know, they, they kind of go in this room and there's stuff that smells good and there may be candles there and, you know, it's like this holy place. They don't ever want to leave. In fact, sometimes you have to turn the water heater off to get them to get out of there, right? They won't leave. They won't leave otherwise. And, you know, but then there was a time in your kid's life, or our kids at least, you know, before that when they were younger than teenagers when they saw that place more like the holy of holies where you only went in once a year, <laughs> right? Um, one time one of our kids said, you know what's great about being my age? You don't need any deodorant. <laughs> Kid didn't have a real active social life at that point. <laughs> but but what, what happens when you wash? Well, soap lifts away impurities and and soap leaves everything the way it was supposed to be, just, just clean. And do you understand how much God desires for you to become like his son? He, he just longs for your heart to change. There are some of you sitting here right now and there's some things that God wants to do in your heart, in your life, right now, and I don't know what it is, but he knows what it is, and you may know what it is. Question is, are you gonna let him work? You know, God wants to, to work change in all of our hearts, and some of you here right now, he wants to set you free from crippling anxieties. He, he wants to set some of you free from poisonous bitterness. He wants to set you free from jealousy and greed, and, and lust, and, and pride. He wants to set you free. He's waiting to do each of those things in your life. And I think part of the problem sometimes for us is that we don't really expect those things to happen. We're not expecting to grow. We're not looking to change. We kind of settle in. We're just kind of content with where we are. But that's not what God wants. God wants us to grow, and that's what the church is about. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You wanna know what God's will is for your life? Well, it's right there. Offer yourself to God. Offer all of who you are to God. That's God's will for you. Give, he wants you to give him everything because he wants you to be like Jesus. And that's why, that's why we're here. Some of you will know that our church's mission statement is simply this, to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And in its simplest terms, a passion to grow means that if you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you will not be content to stay where you are. You'll want to grow. 
You want to become more like Jesus. You will expect it because you're trusting God to work. And it's kind of an interesting thing I've noticed over the years. Sometimes when you talk about things like full devotion, there's a lot of people who think like, that's like an advanced, that's like an elite stage of following Jesus Christ. I got a friend from college and I just heard his youngest kid has just applied to Navy SEAL training just in the last you know, few weeks or something like that. And, and I think a lot of us think that full devotion, that's like Navy SEAL, Army Ranger you know, stuff. That only a few people can attain to it. And the Bible says no. No, it's for you. It's for everyone. All of us are to give all of who we are to Jesus Christ without reservation, 100%. Where's the amen on that one? I'm just asking, okay? Do we need to get a new year thing going here, get you back warmed up into uh, responding? God calls us all to grow, amen? He wants us to grow because he wants us to be like Jesus Christ and we need to see full devotion to Jesus and to his kingdom as just normal. It's the way it is, the way it's supposed to be. So that's the first mark of a New Testament church. It's a place of growth. Secondly, it's a place of community, a place where everyone experiences life Together, And if you think about what we read in Acts chapter two, it's a place, it was just a place where people were doing everything in their lives together. They were just passionate about connecting with and living with other Christ followers. Now, the New Testament calls this passion fellowship. Fellowship, and Luke writes this, they devoted themselves to fellowship. He says all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So the church is about life together and you know the Bible says that we're a family, that's what the church is and we're all called to be members of that family and that means when the church is, is truly functioning the way God intended it that we are going to be intimately connected to other believers. We're gonna be doing life with them and here's the simple reason why. Have you figured this out yet? We can't do life alone. We, we can't become like Jesus Christ, that first mark. You can't become like Jesus on your own. You need other people. We have to do it together. In fact, one of the things we say around at Southwinds a lot is that life change happens best through authentic relationships. We change more. We become more like Jesus, right, when we're involved with other people. You know, one of the interesting things about our place where we live here in Tracy and in this area is about, about 70% of, of the people in our area commute to work. That's most of you. I know some of you spend three plus like hours a day on the road. And, and when you think of that kind of a life and just the busy suburban lifestyle that all of us have, you put all that together. We're just busy people, right? We have really crowded lives. And a lot of times what that means is we have little time left for relationships. And the result of that is that a lot of people, a lot of people in Tracy Mountain House and Lathrop are lonely. But community is so important. And what I'm telling you, I don't care how busy you are, you have to figure out how to do Life together, it is so essential. I mean, and it amazes me sometimes how 
how people will allow busyness and stress to just cause them to live in relational isolation, which, which is death. I've told you about this before. It's been a while. I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but in his book, Bowling Alone, Harvard researcher, sociologist, uh, Robert Putnam, he talks about, he discusses some research that found that relationally isolated people are three times more likely to die than relationally connected people. And he actually said in this book, if you do nothing else, join a small group and it cuts the odds of your dying this next year in half. That's what the sociologist said. And that's why I told Chris Martinez, our life group's pastor, that our motto for 2022 life groups is gonna be this. It's gonna be join a life group or die. I'm following the science. Putnam, Putnam also cites a study, and it was actually a pretty massive study, interestingly, I've done in Alameda County, just over the hill, and he cites it at this time when he wrote the book, it's been a few years ago now, but it was the most significant long-term study of relational connectedness, and they discovered over many years of this longitudinal study that people with bad health habits, like uh, smoking and poor eating patterns and obesity and alcohol use, bad health habits, but strong social ties, they discovered that those people live significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated. Let me interpret that for you. It's better to eat Krispy Kreme with good friends than broccoli by yourself. <laughs> and all God's people said amen. I'm trying to help you out here, man. There was actually, I have to share with you this, another study uh, took uh, 276 volunteers and infected all of them with the virus that produces the common cold. And they discovered in the study that people with stronger emotional and relational connections, those people did four times better fighting off illness than the people who were more isolated. In other words, the relationally connected people were less susceptible to colds. They, they spread less virus, and they, they also um, produce significantly less mucus than the relationally unconnected subjects. And I'm not making this up. This is in the study. This is the science. It's literally true. I'm telling you today that unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. <laughs> the junior high boys in here, that's the only thing they're gonna take home from this sermon, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, the truth is, if relationships are important for your physical health, how much more indispensable are they for your spiritual health? See, around here, we, we believe our best shot at making that happen is through life groups. And you know, this is an amazing thing for me. Almost every week I have conversations with people who, who need guidance about their job. Um, maybe they're struggling with some real nasty relationship issues or they're struggling with a sin or they've gone through a loss and they just need some help. And one of the questions I always ask to them is, are you in a life group? And so many times they'll say no and I'll ask them why? And you know what they say more often than any other thing? 
I'm busy. Sometimes they say, I tried once. And I say, try again. (laughs) Try again. Because nobody can follow Jesus alone. And if you're too busy to be involved in the life of other Christ followers, you are just too busy. And you need to get less busy. It's that important. You know, I am, I'm dreaming, as I have for many, many years, uh, of a church that is full, full of people who are in rich, authentic relationships with one another. Some of you know this for a number of years now. I've kind of been uh, sharing a vision with you, a dream for our church that we would one day at Southwinds have connected 1,000 adults into life groups. Now, you need to know, before the pandemic hit, we got over 700. That's how many people were in life groups a couple of years ago. And the pandemic kind of knocked that down. We are building it back up, but we're over 400, and we are growing. We are adding more people every day that we can. All across West San Joaquin Valley, lives being changed through relationships. Chris mentioned this in the announcements. We have 45 life groups that are meeting every day of the week. We have life groups in those four languages, English, uh, Spanish, Tagalog, and Telugu. We'd love to add more languages. We have life groups that focus on mental health issues, on recovery issues, on different life stages. And if you don't find a group that we have already that meets at a time that works for you, we will do everything we can to find a time that works for you and get a group going for you. See, we're always looking for groups to get started, for people to facilitate, and I don't know, maybe God has called you here today to tell you, today's the day you need to become a life group facilitator, which means you need to talk to Chris Martinez, and he'll be out in the lobby after the service. You need to get in a life group. If you wanna find out more, check out our app, go on our website, log into The Current, uh, do what you can. We wanna help you experience life together. Third thing that we see about a New Testament church is it's a place of worship. A place of worship where everyone discovers their greatest joy in God. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I want you to just notice all these phrases are about worship, and it tells us these early Christ followers were focused on worship, and we see them worshiping in larger groups. We see them worshiping in smaller groups. It didn't just happen on Sunday. It happened every day. And all of this was happening because of this. They believed these early Christ followers did something so important, it should be part of your life. They believed that God is better than anything else in all the world. Is that your heart's conviction? Do you believe that? Do you live like that? And I I hope you understand that we will never be the kind of people who impact the lives of people around us until we have settled this issue within us, that, that God is the highest priority in our life, that he is the greatest worth in our life. You know, the greatest commandment is to love God, right, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You ever thought about why loving God is the most important commandment? Well, the simple answer is this. It's because God is the most important person in the universe, right? 
So there is no one, there is no thing that's more important to God. And here's the thing. We sin whenever we get that out of order. That's what sin is. When, when God is not first, when God is not most important in our lives. And, and I'm just telling you, when you discover your, your greatest joy in God, it only happens when something happens in your value system, when God truly becomes the most important person in your life. That only happens when you have come to the place in your life where you believe with all your heart that God is better. He's just better. He's better than anything. He's better than anyone. That means you want him more than anything. It means you want him more than anyone. Is that true of you? And if it's not, then the Bible says you are in your life somehow engaged in idolatry. God should be number one in our lives. We know that's the case when we want him more than anything. You know, I, I, wonder, I wonder if the last two years have challenged some of us to face the reality that we don't find our greatest joy in God. See, we're only gonna be that kind of church that makes an impact like this church did as we are those people finding their greatest joy in God because it's when people see people finding their greatest joy in God that they are compelled to ask, what's going on in your life? Why do you have this thing that I, I know I don't have? I don't know what it is, but I wish I had it. It's when we have found our greatest joy in God. That's when people see us, and that's when lives get changed. See, is God, here's the question, just wanna leave with you, is God better for you than anything else in all the world? And if he's not, are you willing to repent? Are you willing to ask him to forgive you for putting something above him? Let us be a church where everyone finds their greatest joy in God. Here's the fourth mark of a New Testament church. It is a place of generosity. And this is where everyone gives more than we take. It says, Luke writes, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I just wanna point out here real briefly, what we see here is this, I'm just gonna call it a culture of generosity. These were people so committed to Jesus and Jesus' mission and Jesus' people uh, that, that were carrying out the mission. They were so committed, they had no problem giving their stuff away. They cared more about the mission than their stuff. Now here's an interesting thing to me. I've been a pastor for like 35 years or so, and, and it's really interesting to me how any time I ever get close to, bring up, get in the general vicinity of giving, that the room kind of tightens up. People get nervous. Some people fold their arms. Maybe you're cold, so it's not that, but people do. And it's just fascinating to me, why do we respond like this? Why does the idea of generosity make us defensive? And if it makes you defensive, you should ask yourself, why? Let me just tell you this. God 
God calls us all to generosity, and the reason he does is that he has already been infinitely generous with us. Amen? He's given us his son. God has given us himself. How can we not respond to his generosity with our own generosity? And God uses our generosity. We see it in this text. He, he uses it to meet the needs around us. This, this early church was a place of giving more than taking. It was a place where spiritual and, and physical and financial needs were all being met. Sometimes people say, well, generosity isn't only about money. Yeah, it's true. But it's not only about the other things either. <laughs> it's not only about money. It's also about our time. It's also about our talents and abilities. It's also about serving others. It's about giving more than we take. And the Bible tells us that God wants us to be the kind of people who live within the context of a church family. And we're more interested in what we give than what we get. That would be a great question to ask yourself when you come to church on a Sunday morning. What am I gonna give today? How can I be generous today? And again, it's not just about the offering. It's generosity in other ways. You know, one of the things I would point out here is that God intends for every believer to have a, a ministry. He gives us spiritual gifts. He empowers us to serve other people with those gifts. He expects us to use those gifts. We say around here a lot of times every member is a minister. God calls us all to ministry. We weren't put on earth just to take up space and breathe the oxygen. God expects us all to give something back. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so let me just ask, are you generous with what God has given you? You know, one of the challenges we're facing as leaders right now as we are kind of coming out of the pandemic is that we're seeing many people are still hesitant to jump in and serve. Now, if you have a health reason, you know, I understand. But if you don't, if there's not a reason, can I just lovingly say to you, it's time. It's time to give. It's time to serve Let's, let's be the family of God together, giving together, serving together, whether, whether that's serving through the ministry of life groups with other adults, or maybe God's calling you to serve with children or serve with students or serve in a recovery ministry or a part of our care groups. I mean, whatever it is, maybe something that we're not even doing yet, God's calling you. Will you be someone who gives more than you take? Last. A New Testament church um, is a place of evangelism, a place where the gospel gets shared, where everyone lives as if lost people matter. And I wanna point out that last sentence in our text, verse 47 says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. What a dream that would be to be in a church where like every day, somebody gets saved. It's Sunday, somebody is saved. It's, it's Monday, somebody's getting saved. It's Tuesday, somebody's getting saved. Every day, someone is getting saved. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church family where that kind of thing is, is happening? And I, I think the reason why that stands out to us so much, why we don't see that that often, is that, that so few of us 
actually live our lives as if lost people matter. Do you know, if you live in a typical street, typical neighborhood in Tracy or Mountain House or Lathrop, this is just the data we have, the social science we have, people answering surveys, do you know that over four out of five, so above 80% at least of your neighbors do not know Jesus Christ? You've seen the changes on the signs in Tracy just recently. We now have 98,000 and something people that live in Tracy, and some of you are grumpy about it. It's too crowded. That's not how we should think as Christ followers. We should think God's bringing more people closer by so we can reach them. But if you just add up Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop's population, that means within a few miles of this church, over 120,000 people, at least, maybe it's higher, don't know Jesus Christ. Is God calling you to reach some of those people? Is God calling you to reach one of those people? See, the Bible tells us that, that lost people matter to God and therefore they ought to matter to us. And I just wanna leave you with this. What if we became a church where all of our hearts, every one of our hearts breaks at the thought of anyone on our street, in our neighborhood, spending eternity separated from God? What if we became a church where we are willing to reorient our lives, willing to give up our comfort and give up our preferences so that we can reach anyone who needs Jesus? Just a real quick question. How many of you here um, in this room right now were baptized here at Southwinds? Some point in the past, you were baptized. Would you just raise your hand? Just look across the room. Now, let me ask you this question, um, and if, if you've already raised your hand, you're gonna raise it again. How many of you were impacted in such a way by someone at Southwinds that brought you here to this place and maybe changed your life? You're either baptized here or someone at Southwinds ministered to you and it made a difference in your life. All of you, would you raise your hands? Okay, now, here's my last question. And if you know Jesus, their hands should go up. How many of you came to Jesus because someone else told you about him? Would you raise your hand? It's all of us, right? Do you see where I'm going with this? All of us come to know Jesus because someone, someone cared, someone prayed, someone shared, someone loved. That's how we came to know him and that's what God wants to do in our lives to bring other people to him. I wanna point one other thing before I real quickly go through our, our, our final four little things. I want you to notice that what this church was about it was they were about both being deep and wide. And I wanna point this out because a lot of times, a lot of Christians today think you gotta pick one or you gotta pick the other. Well, we go to this church because they have great teaching. Well, you go to that church and maybe they have great teaching, but nobody ever seems to meet Jesus there. Or you go to another church and it's like a lot of people are getting baptized, but the teaching is like mile wide and inch deep. And here's the thing, the, the picture of the church that God gives us in the New Testament is both deep and wide. This was a church devoted to the apostles' teaching and a church that so loved their neighbors that every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
That's what we want at Southlands. We, we, want, we want both. All right, let me, let me close with clarity, balance, counsel, and reorientation. I'm gonna do this really quickly because y'all are especially slow listeners this morning. She'll work on that. Um, clarity, first of all, the creed helps us find clarity on what the church is and isn't. And this is something, if you're new, we've done with each of these messages. We've talked about uh, the creed, how it helps us in these areas. So what the church is and isn't. The church is not a social group. It's not a building. It's not an event. It's not a source of entertainment. It's not a podcast. It's not a Bible study. It's not a self-help program. The church is people together becoming like Jesus, pursuing full devotion for God. And we do that not only for God's glory, but for our good, and we do that for the good of our communities. Second, balance. How does the creed's vision of the church bring balance? And I just wanna point out this. It reminds us that the church is both universal and local. See, the creed talks about the Catholic church. That's universal, but it also talks about the communion of saints. Well, that's local. You can't have communion in a relationship with other people if you're not involved, engaged with other people, part of a local church. And the point is this, we need both. And I highlight this because sometimes people think, well, you know, I'm part of the universal church, the global church. I know Jesus, I've trusted in Jesus, but yeah, whether I go to church on Sunday or not, that's not really that big of a deal. I don't have to be part of a local church. Why does it matter? And my short answer would be this. It's not either or, it's both and. Here's the thing you should know if you think that. The New Testament has no category for someone saying, I follow Jesus, but I'm not part of Jesus' body. I'm not part of Jesus' family. In fact, if you say you follow Jesus, but you do not want anything to do with Jesus' family, then there is no biblical reason for us to think that your profession of faith is genuine. It's both and, they go together. Following Jesus apart from Jesus' people makes no sense. I mean, just think of what the Bible calls the church. We're the body of Christ. A cell doesn't exist all out on its own. It has to be part of a body. We're the family of Christ. We're not spiritual orphans. You know, family means you're engaged with other people. And so we need to see the church as both universal and local. As I said earlier, this means the church is far greater than any one congregation. We're part of something global. Uh, The Bible even says we're part of something cosmic. That's a whole nother message. But that doesn't negate the vital importance of the local church. All right, third, counsel. Understanding what the creed uh, tells us, uh, counsels us how to live in so many ways. And I, I could have done a lot of things, but I just want to mention one. It's something very current, and it's, it's, it's about technology. And I think in recent years, we all are aware that for many people, the church has increasingly become a, a product to consume online or via podcast more and more rather than a flesh and blood relational reality that we are devoted to. And COVID didn't help this, right? I mean, there was a, there were, this was a problem pre-COVID. Our conviction at Southwinds is that online church is a concession for COVID, but it's not the fundamental way that we believe church is to be lived 
and experienced. See, when you look at Acts 2 and you see Acts 2 community and, and Acts 2 beliefs, then you have to come to the conclusion, like they say in Hamilton, you know, I wanna be in the room where it happens. That's where the action is. You need to be physical, physically together whenever we, we can. And it can become very easy in our day and age with everything we offer technologically, like, like oh yeah, I slept in this morning, I'll just watch online. Oh yeah, it's freezing outside. Got below 50 last night. I think I'll watch online. I mean, we, we find a reason. But in doing so, we need to be reminded we're missing life. We're missing the relational beauty and strength and comfort God intends for his people. Now, having said this, I wanna be so clear. Uh, we do recognize the need for this technology right now. And some of you who are watching right now, you have a reason not to be here. And I'm not speaking to you you know, if you're a health-compromised, vulnerable person in some way, you are part of our family, and you should be where you are until it's safe. But our conviction is to look like what we see in the Bible, coming together is indispensable. And I, I don't know, I, I just think if 2020 and 2021 have taught us anything, it's that technology is no substitute for being together, right? I mean, is there anybody else here who has as their, one of their life goals, never, ever, 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 to be in a Zoom call again, <laughs> right? I don't know. I mean, some of you may work for Zoom or something like that, and I wish your business success, <laughs> sorta. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, we need each other. I've talked about that. Let me, let me move on. The last thing is reorientation. How does this reorient the way we live? And I think I wanna sum it up, and so much of what I said today fits into this. We need to reorient our experience of church from me to we. It's not about me, it's about we. This whole Jesus thing is not about just my own spirituality. It's not about my self-actualization. It's not about self-care for me. It's about me becoming like my Lord, being formed into the image of Jesus as a person of love. And the way that happens, the only way that fully happens is in the context of community with other people. And so we want everything we do to be built on Jesus. And Jesus was someone who thought first about others, not himself. Jesus was someone who didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held onto tightly, but rather he gave himself up for the good of others and for the joy of others. And that's what we wanna be. As we affirm, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of the saints. This leads us right back to the main teaching this morning that True devotion to the way of Jesus always leads to devotion to a local church community. Always, always. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?